You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. On Sunday, May 11, George Snayman spoke at Unedited Spirituality in Calgary, Canada. Thanks to Jeremy Duncan for this interview and for your love for Africa's most vulnerable. First of all, for those who don't know you or don't know Hands at Work, uh, although I hope everyone's heard of this, um, give us a little bit of background on, on what Hands at Work is, who you are, how you ended up here in Canada. Okay. Hands at Work is just, uh, it's just a movement of, of uh, believers from all over the world. Um, we've got a, a large number of Canadians. Sometimes I think it's too large. <laughs> no, we've got a fantastic group of people, especially from Westside. I think there are eight young Westsiders serving with us at the moment in medium and long term. We, we just live in community. We live simple lives. The thing that's binding us together is a deep passion for Christ. Um, and that we drew a line in the sand and we said, on our watch, we're not going to allow 20,000 kids to die when we can do something about it every day. And so we target the, the poorest, most dysfunctional communities in Africa. We work in eight countries in Africa. We go in, we find the diamonds in the dust. That's normally just amazing women in Africa that have got a heart to care for the children but they're completely dysfunctional. Mm. And we just say to them, this is your village, it's your people, and we've come to back you. And mm. we do whatever we can to back them. And really, if you want to have a picture of what Hans does, when we go into communities that are completely off the ladder, uh, they don't even know there's a ladder. They just fight from meal to meal. Mm. And all we try to do um, through our international volunteers and African leaders. We've got amazing African leaders. We just try to build a little box. And if the people in that village get on that box and they reach as high as they can, they might reach the first step on the ladder. Mm. Once they're on the ladder, there are dozens of international NGOs and governments that can pick them up. But what we've discovered is um, they call it the bottom billion. Is the, the billion people in the world that earn less than a dollar a day. There's no radar picking them up. Mm. They're just under the radar. And so we've got geophysicists, we've got um, graphic designers, we've got teachers, we, we've got bookkeepers, and we throw them all together and we say, you're most probably never going to do what you were trying to do, <laughs> but um, if, you, if you join us in this lifestyle and, and you are prepared to build capacity in Africa and serve mm. in whatever comes your way, and so when we get up in the morning, we say we've got one goal. We live together as a community, so we are before we do. And that living is a very exciting thing. It can be up to 30 cultures living in, in a community where I am. Um, and then we go out and we, we bring hope through mm. simplicity. We just, we just go and do it because we're passionate about it. I, I'm interested in that. I mean, can you talk a little bit about... Um, what that billion, a bottom billion looks like in terms of rural communities. I know in my experience, I've been um, in the DRC a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And when you're in like Lumumbashi, mm -hmm. you see UN trucks everywhere, you mm -hmm. see NGOs everywhere. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you, you drive an hour out of the city mm -hmm. into the communities like Toyota, where Hands at Work is, and it, it, it's just nothing there. Um, yeah. Why yeah. is it that, yeah. what, what is it that makes Hands unique in terms of reaching out and, and, and the areas that you're working in? Yeah, I think uh, we certainly don't have any capacity that nobody else has. If, if anything, we've got less capacity. Mm -hmm. So the thing is what makes it unique is um, it was part of my story as a white South African that 
dad discovered what was happening in my backyard. Mm. And, and I started drilling and drilling. And I discovered that every community, you know, even on a rubbish dump, where I would feed children for two years, that's how I started. Every day I would take a huge bowl of soup and feed children. And even on the rubbish dump, there were, there were layers, there were circles. Mm. And the same two most vulnerable children, girls, were every day in the back of the line. And so when you look at a community, it might look very poor, but within that community there are layers. Mm -hmm. and, and to get to the children was so poor, they're naked, like literally naked. They don't have clothing. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard, hard work. And when you drill through the other layers, the politicians, opportunists, the lazy guys, whatever, you get a backlash every time. So we've just learned to be very focused and hard-headed and we, we drill until we get to, mm -hmm. to the poorest. But what it means, Jeremy, is, you know, I stayed in those villages, in those huts with the, with the people and I'll give you a snapshot when I sat in Zambia, very close to, to the DRC border, mm -hmm. with a woman my age and her husband. Um, he, he will get up at opposite two in the morning and he will cycle for five hours to deliver a bag of charcoal that he made. And if he makes $2 a day, then he had a great day. Mm -hmm. And they will have more than 10 orphans in their own hut. And, and I sat with her outside their hut and we were watching girls playing on a skipping rope while we were talking. And suddenly, uh, an elderly gentleman came cycling into the village and the children started shouting at the girl while she was playing on a skipping rope. And eventually she didn't move, she just stayed playing. One of the kids took a stone and they threw it at her and the child started crying, the girl, and she ran off. And I asked this lady, my host, what, what, what just happened here? And she told me that that girl of 13 is married to that old man that just came cycling in. And, and you know, obviously it, it's a massive paradigm shift, uh, shift to me. It's a huge shock. And when I asked her why, she said to me, that's the only way she will survive. And so at the age of 12, 13, we sold off to be married. And that's the bottom billion I'm speaking mm -hmm. about. And, and it's incredible. They, the lives that they live is, is just unbelievably tough. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, already mothers. You know, this is, this is where it starts. Uh, it's Mother's Day. Uh, talk about you know what that is. Why why is it so significant? Women, particularly in these countries. I think the women in Africa are well. I don't think I know. They are the backbone. They are just incredible. They will not give up. I have I've held many many um, people in my arms dying, especially in the beginning when the AIDS pandemic was at its height, and there were times that I were big women to let go um, because they would just suffer immensely and they will just not let go because their willpower and the determination to look after the children is, is just incredible. And then of course the grandmothers, you can imagine in, in the African culture they're supposed to be looked after when they're old and then what happened is all the children die and they didn't just die on them, they left them eight or ten children. And these women are just incredible. You know, I, I stay with a grandmother in Zimbabwe when I normally go into the mountains. She's like a mother to me, Helena. Just when I sit at the feet in that matat and I watch the loving way that she will care for the children, even when she doesn't know what they're going to eat that day. 
the joy that's in her heart, the raw faith, the, the way she walks in the water every day, every day, is just remarkable. So women are just, in, in Africa, and I really believe in Canada in these places, um, I love what Chris said this morning, and it's time for us to, to appreciate and understand the incredible strength that women brings to a society and to the fiber of making a society work, especially when, when the fiber is busy breaking up and the picture starts looking thin, mm. how they are prepared to go from where they are strong and they take themselves and they will start weaving themselves into the holes of community totally sacrificially. Mm. I remember in South Africa, last time I was there, there was a woman, uh, one of the grannies named Flomina, and she was, was a hard woman. It was hard to get to know her a bit, and yet uh, I spent days with her, uh, like tilling the ground to plow and put plants with seeds and carrying water up. And I mean, this woman like put us all to shame. I had we had a guy on that team that played um, junior A hockey uh, for the Kootenai Ice. He was playing that level of hockey at that time and couldn't keep up with her carrying water. But after spending a couple of days with her, I mean, just as she opened up to us and became this incredibly gracious woman that was putting in huge amounts of time for none of these children were hers. I mean, it was just incredible. You talked a bit about um, the, the AIDS pandemic that went through. And early in the Hands at Work story, that was a big part of the story, was um, emergency uh, relief care for people who were sick and dying. And that shifted over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, talk about that, what that third wave is and what sure. that means for Hands. So the AIDS pandemic really came in three waves. The first wave was what we call the invisible wave. That was when millions of people became infected. But you won't know if I'm infected or you, so nobody knew it really. And then the second wave was when there was total devastation and people were just dying by the thousands. And that's when, when I became involved. Um, then the third wave is the wave, the orphan wave. And so this month, in fact, every month in Africa, Sub-Sahara, there's 180,000 new orphans. And, and the problem with that is um, because of the second wave when so many people died, the world became very um, aware of that. And then the so-called medication came in. Mm -hmm. And so the world think the problem is solved. But even with the medication, there's 180,000 new orphans. Um, today, 6,000 kids buried their last parent. And it is... You know, I stood in a hut in Malawi once when three boys came back from just burying their last parent. The oldest boy is 15. And I it was just coincidental that I, I walked exactly the same time into the hut. I tell you, Jeremy, I stood in that hut and I looked in their eyes and I saw when the realization that we've just buried our last parent. Now, you know, there's no social welfare. There's no, there's, tomorrow morning, it's fight to survive. And as I stood there, and I watched their faces, I could feel my own throat just closing up with fear. As an adult man, I thought, I can't cope with that. I can't now. And, and so for a moment, I just experienced that incredible hopelessness. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's the first wave. And that's what hands at work. We are saying, you know what, we hate numbers and stuff like that. But we want to use something that's so big it scares us stiff. And so we say we fly the plane as we built it. That's how we do it in hands. And we want to reach 100,000 children. Uh, we want to reach them and, and know their names. 
We want to, that's all we can do. We want to throw ourselves in there and, and be part of a legacy and just show that mm. something can happen with ordinary people. And, and what does that look like reaching them? What, you know, we've sent teams. We have another team leaving in July mm-hmm. uh, that's traveling to Zambia. Uh, what does it look like to reach those children? The first level, the first thing we believe in is those children must immediately be less vulnerable than they are. So girls put their bodies on the line every day to get a plate of food for them and their siblings. So immediately when we get involved through the local, remember it's all local ownership, we say there are three essential services to to help that child to be less vulnerable. First one is food security. There must be at least one proper meal a day, at least. And, And that will also encourage the neighbors just to give a little bit. Sometimes people just don't give because they feel the problem is too yeah. big. So it's food security, education. The second thing is education. Now that's funny if I compare it with what you guys get. But it's really just a school where we bring them all together for five hours a day. They might do basic maths and English. But you know what? It's taking them out of a hostile environment mm-hmm. and having a safe place and having with adults. And then obviously third is basic health. It's visiting them in their homes making sure they're safe, and getting them to a clinic if, if they are sick. That's the first level of care. We say they must get that mm. to start the process. And then, of course, after that, it's long-term relationship and mentorship and friendship and, and model. They must meet models. And that's what we love about your teams coming. When they go to the same villages over and over, these young men meet young Canadian men and ladies and course in africa they think if it comes from canada it's beautiful <laughs> i'm not always sure it's right but it's okay <laughs> and so they get these models coming every year and these guys and it's the impact is unbelievable mm-hmm. it can't be explained in a first world environment but in africa mm-hmm. that impact is huge it's life-changing mm-hmm. and, and i think what i hear and, and what i know is this is why it's important that we keep sending teams over and over again to keep building those relationships yeah and we've been in we've been in Malenga community in Zambia now for a long time. Last year, uh, Lisa Daly, who's also here tonight, uh, took a team over to a new community, and now Nicole and Devon are taking a team into that community called Kalende. Can you give us a quick snapshot of, of what Kalende look like, looks like? Kalende is my favorite community. Oh, I mean, go. I just <laughs> like, totally love Kalende. I want to tell you, to get there, you drive through with a 4 by 4 through buses. And if it's raining, you're going to push. And you're going to walk <laughs> in your knees in the water. And mud. <laughs> I'm encouraging you. <laughs> but it's a fantastic, a fantastic community. Um, they've built their own school out of mud. Just the most, most amazing women and men. Mm. And, they, and you would go from the school that's also the feeding and the playing field. We call it the life center. We would go out into the community. And you can walk up to 40 minutes sometimes through a little river and jumping over trees and whatever, and you will suddenly, there will be an open space and there will be five, six huts. Mm. And, and there will just be a whole group of people living there. But all of them, that whole community, desperately vulnerable, desperately vulnerable. Mm. But it's a fantastic community. Um, I've, I had, and one of the things George talked about is you talk about the numbers and it seems hopeless. When you go and you actually see communities transform and change over time, it actually seems very hopeful. And what we've seen in Mulanga, my first time there was 2008. My last time there was 2012, I think. 
Um, that community has, has transformed radically since Hans has been in there. The feeding stations going, the school is up and running. There's a medical clinic in there now. It's not run by Hans, but, but it's expanded on. Um, leadership has developed and grown around that to the point where now we've said, okay, let's begin to focus on a new community and start over again. And so anyone here who has uh, ever been discouraged about going to Africa because you think it is hopeless, it is daunting and it's scary and it will be uncomfortable, but it's not hopeless. There are these incredible stories of transformation that are happening through uh, local workers and what Hands at Work is doing. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org